But today we're diving into a brand new series I'm excited about. Uh, it's called Risk Takers. Risk Takers. Uh, probably from way down the room, uh, probably variant degrees. There are some of you in this room, uh, maybe you would consider yourself a high risk taker. Maybe some of you are a little bit more risk adverse. Uh, but what we're doing in this series, and here's why it's called Risk Takers, we're going to look at men and women in Scripture who did something significant with their life, something significant for God. And here's what I know, is that you were called to do something great with your life. Here's why, because you were made in the image of God, and He is the great I am. So if you've ever felt this calling on the inside of you, you felt something, you've been called to do something great, whether it be in business or education or medicine or technology or as a parent or whatever it might be in the nonprofit sector, whatever, I want, you, I want to encourage you with this, that, that desire to do something great, can I tell you, when you do it in the way that God has instructed it, it honors him. In fact, when Jesus, his disciples, wanted to be great in the, in the Gospels, he didn't, he didn't uh, brush them aside. He didn't say, how dare you want to be great? He just said, the greatest is the servant of all. Uh, so he, he told them how to be great. And we're going to look at men and women in the scriptures and really study their life and look at some qualities of their life and some risks they, they took. Because here's the reality. Following Jesus is a, uh, is a, a risky Endeavor. It will cost you something. In fact, hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 16. He says that when you follow me, he said, take up your cross, deny yourself. You know what I love about Jesus? He is up front in the Gospels about what it costs to follow him. How many of you know there's no hidden fees in following Jesus? Come on, somebody. He comes right up front and says, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So today we're going to look at a man in the scriptures, at the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, a man by the name of Noah. Maybe some of you, it evokes, uh, if you're like myself, uh, maybe it evokes uh, memories of when you were in Sunday school. Come on, somebody. Anybody else? You grew up going to Sunday school? Uh, I remember the felt boards. Come on. Just a side note, if you had felt boards in Sunday school when you grew up, you are old. Come on. Just helping you out. I myself am old. I had felt boards. We did not have Catalyst Kids Summer Blast when I grew up. Come on. Uh, I was talking to a parent earlier. I was like, was your Sunday school like this? Mine was not. Um, but uh, we're going to look at his life and, and look at how. And here's what we're going to look at. Noah was a man that trusted God. And here's what Noah risked. He risked his reputation he built an ark, believing there was this incoming flood, uh, and when there was no flood. So he risked his reputation. He risked his family's reputation. He risked some resource because he had to build the ark. He risked a lot in following God. And here's the risk we're going to look at, though. And I'm calling today's message the risk of trust, because Noah trusted in God. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We pray that you would, we know you will speak to us today. We posture our hearts and minds to receive from you. It is in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to read out of uh, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6, if you have your Bibles uh, this morning. If not, we'll have them on the screens. 
Um, it begins the narrative about Noah's life. And uh, we're going to start in verse 9, read a few scriptures, and we'll dive in. It says, this is an account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Anybody else just feel bad for Ham in this moment, right? It had to be your name, be Ham. And it's written in the eternal word of God. Okay, just so sorry. My mind goes there sometimes. Sometimes you just got to read the Bible with a fresh comedic lens, okay? Um, now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, was full of violence. Uh, in fact, scholars say, historians say that there was so much violence in the land that the earth was literally soaked with blood all over the earth. It was soaked with blood. Very violent, very corrupt in this time. Uh, so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy uh, both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in, in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. Verse 22, Noah then did everything just as God commanded him. Uh, so we see Noah in this moment that God tells him to build an ark. Some significant things to know about this. In Genesis 5, we, it mentions that Noah is at the ripe young age of 500 years old. Uh, by the time he enters the ark, he is 600 years old. Uh, we do not know how long exactly it took him to build the ark. Uh, some presume 100 years. We don't know for, for a fact. Uh, the Bible says the, the earth was corrupt. Again, historians say at this time in history, the level of violence and corruption and wickedness and immorality was at a significant high. And because God is a God of justice, um, and know that justice is in part uh, righting wrongs. It's standing up for the vulnerable, but it's also consequences for the wicked. And in this moment, he brings a consequence because he's a God of justice. Our life is ordered around justice. That's why when you see something done that's wrong, something on the inside of you says, that's not right. Because we have been on the inside of us, we are made in the image of God who's a God of justice. So because he's a God of justice, and the Bible says the penalty of our sin, of our wickedness, is death, he says, I'm going to bring a flood that's going to take out all people in the entire earth except for one man and his family because he was righteous. Now, some of you are thinking, wow, I didn't know God was like that. Maybe it's your first time, and you're like, I'm glad I came to church today. You know, Let me encourage you. God is a God of justice. Therefore, there has to be a, a consequence for our sin. The Bible says the penalty of our sin is death. Therefore, our, my sin, your sin, we deserve death. But New Testament says this, that, that Jesus Christ became sin. And the wrath of God, the, the consequence, the justice of God was satisfied through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of Jesus, we can be righteous before God. Aren't you grateful for Jesus? So God's never going to do this again. He's not going to wipe the earth away because of wickedness, even though today we still see it, right? You don't have to scroll the news too long to see violence, wickedness, corruption, immorality. It's all over us. If we would be really honest, we'd look in our own hearts 
we'd see it in ourselves. But because of Jesus, he took our punishment so we could have right standing with God. But in fact, scholars or historians say that, again, we don't know this for a fact, but perhaps the reason God brought a flood instead of a disease or pestilence was because he literally wanted to wash the blood out off the earth. Like there was so much blood. He wanted to just wipe it clean. So he, 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 he finds Noah. Uh, he calls a righteous man. The first time the Bible uses the term righteous is right here in Genesis 6-9 about Noah. He was a blameless man. He was an integrous man. Now, let me, let me remind you, Noah was not a perfect man. There was only one perfect. His name was Jesus. That Noah, in Genesis 9, um, he actually, his sons find him drunk and naked. So we know of at least one sin he had uh, in that moment and probably more. So he wasn't a perfect man, but the Bible calls him a righteous man. And he walked faithfully with God. And he builds this ark. And, and here's the significance of Noah's life. Because he, he followed God's instructions, he built the ark. His wife, his sons, and their wives came in, eight humans, eight people, and then um, seven pairs of clean animals because clean animals were used for sacrifice. Uh, and then a pair, uh, two pairs of, of unclean animals that were in this ark. He preserved humanity. God chose him to preserve humanity after he wiped it away. So we're here still today, in part, thanks to Noah. Uh, but Noah's life was defined by a, a distinct trust in God. And I want to talk today about the importance of trusting in God and what trust looks like. And here's the first point, uh, really quality of Noah, and really the first quality we need to embrace to trust God, and that is that we must walk with God. We must walk with God. The scripture says that Noah walked faithfully with God. Here's what that means, that Noah walked with God, that Noah was, was, was in relationship with God, that Noah, Noah regularly spent time with God. In other words, Noah did not just connect with God when he felt like it. He did not just connect with God when it was convenient. He walked faithfully with God. And can I encourage you, if you want to, 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 to experience God's will, if you want to experience God's best, if you want to do something significant in your life, can I tell you a marker we see throughout the scriptures is you need to be a person who walks faithfully with God. That means that, that to the best of your ability, that every day you carve out time with God. Now, if you miss a day, you miss a week, that's okay. There's no condemnation. Pick yourself back up and have a time where you connect with God. Don't wait until you feel like it. Can I tell you, there are some mornings I get up, hopefully this will free somebody up, and I don't feel like reading the Bible. I shock some of you. But can I tell you, I do it anyway. You know why? Because I need it. I, whether or not you feel it, you need God more than you realize. If you believe that, can you say amen? He walked faithfully with God, but no one knew he needed it. He was in a very wicked, wicked culture, corrupt culture, and God was his refuge. As David says in Psalms 18, the same feeling and posture David has. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David says, God, you are, you are my rock. 
You are my refuge. You, you are my safe place. God, you are my, you are my fortress. And can I tell you, we all need a refuge. We, we all, in the same way that, that Noah had, that David had, we need a place of refuge, a place that we can go to. And that best place is with God. Because there will come times in our life where we'll go through difficult seasons of life, tension in our marriage, health complications, discouragement in our workplace, financial difficulty, a loved one who's struggling. And when, and when we see parts of our life where there's instability, we need an ever-stable God. Come on, you don't have to scroll the news long today to see there's instability around the world. Has anyone noticed this? Come on, an ongoing pandemic, variant after variant, that we see an ongoing pandemic, we see rising inflation, we see unstable governments, we see regimes being tossed over. Can I tell you, the Bible said this, the kingdoms of this world will be shaken. So global health will be shaken. Economies, shaken. Governments, shaken. Nations, shaken. But there is one kingdom that will never be shaken. There is one king who will be on the throne forever, and his name is Jesus. Therefore, we don't build our life in hope upon a pandemic ending, upon an economy improving, upon a government stabilizing. No, no, my friends. We should expect more instability. But can I tell you, I will, I will confidently stand before you and declare the never-changing eternal truth of the Word of God that if you root your life on the rock of Jesus, you will be unshaken. You will be unshaken. That when things shake around us, I'm not shaken because my life is on the rock of Jesus Christ. I'm not allowing the, the news to determine my mood. Why? Because I've rooted myself in the word. On a side note, personally I've experienced this, so I say this with love, but also in a challenge. Some of you may need to decrease how much news you're consuming. NPR reported 26.7% of people said they have had increased anxiety because of the news. 87% of pandemic-related coverage, this is an independent study, NPR produced this, was negative. Do you know why they produce negative news? Because you and I are most likely to click on negative headlines. Can I tell you, maybe you need to consume less news and more of the truth of the word of God. Because he has a peace beyond all comprehension. Sometimes if you're not careful, you are anxious about something that is nowhere near you. Because we have access to information we didn't have 20 years ago. Like we, we do you know this? We, we are like an experiment right now because never before thought history in the information age have we had access to this much information that we can see somebody's iPhone video across the world and have anxiety about someone's personal life across the world. Can I tell you, inform yourself, but most importantly, arm yourself with the sword of the Spirit. Listen, when someone comes to me and says, I'm, I'm having a hard time with anxiety or I'm lacking peace, my first question is, tell me about your diet in the Word of God. Listen, I'm a former psychologist. I have a counselor. I'm all about therapy, medication, yes. But I'm telling you, more importantly than any of that is feeding your mind and your spirit on the eternal words of life. That wasn't in my notes, so there you go. That was free from the Lord. 
But I mean it. You need to have a refuge. Here's the reality. We all have refuges. We have false refuges we run to. For, for some people, they may run to the refuge of work. That when you're overwhelmed with life, you throw yourself into work. Can I confess to you? That is a struggle I'm aware of in my own life. Because come on, anybody else with me? You t- any type A people in the room, like, you love to get some stuff done. Come on, somebody. Like, if you're stressed out, I see you to check off some tasks, and I feel good. Anybody else, you have this same problem? If, if a task I accomplished was not on my task list, I will put it on my task list after I accomplish it just to check it off. Anybody else? It feels so good, doesn't it? You're like, yes, I'm crushing it. It's not always healthy, though. Maybe you run to the refuge of possessions and money. Maybe you're incessantly checking the stock market or your, your performance of your 401k or Maybe your real estate, and you're checking how you're, you're consumed. Maybe you, you do some retail therapy, and then you realize 24 hours later, you just got more debt. <laughs> or maybe you run to the refuge of a relationship that maybe isn't always healthy. And you wonder why that relationship isn't healthy. It's because you're treating that relationship as your refuge, as your rock, when they were never intended to be that. We all have re- Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe you binge watch Netflix. You're overwhelmed, you kind of watch a season of a series. Or maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's a substance. I don't know what. Here's what I'm saying. We all have propensities to rely upon false refuges. What is that for you? And then then grab hold of the one true refuge that will give you peace beyond all comprehension. You know, on July 4th, we were in the pool uh, as a family at a community pool. And my kids, they would, testing themselves, they would swim out into the deeper ends of the pool where they couldn't touch. And I would kind of walk out there with them. And as soon as they got tired and they could no longer tread and their feet couldn't touch the bottom, they would grasp for my shoulder because their father was stable. And can I tell you, when, when in life you feel like you can't get your feet underneath of you, you feel like you're treading water financially, you're treading water with your anxiety, reach for the rock. Jesus says that those who build their house upon the rock the storms of life will come, but they are not shaken. What does that mean practically? I want to challenge you. If you do not have this in your life, carve out time daily with God. If you don't know where to start, do a version Bible app reading plan. And listen, prayer, to kind of bring it down a little bit, prayer is, you don't have to think super spiritual. Just talk to God. Like, what's heavy on your heart? What are you hoping for? What are you believing for? And there are some of you in the room, let me just say this, you know, physically, when you have periods of intense exercise, oftentimes the more intense of an exercise, the more rest you need. That's why oftentimes a power lifter will have a longer rest period than like an endurance athlete because they're lifting a lot heavier weight. Or in the NBA, there's something called load management, where a lot of the, the elite players, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard who still are not nearly as great as Jordan. That's a whole other story. Come on, somebody. We know Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. But they'll do this thing called load management. And what it is 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 that their coaches monitor the load of the work they're doing because the games are so intense physically. They want to prevent injury. What am I saying all this for? Because sometimes, maybe you've you've been reading your Bible and praying for five years, 10 years, 30 years. Different seasons of your life, though, 
that, that you may need to spend more time in the presence of God because the load of life has increased. Because Jesus says this, that come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Some of you have been burdened, and you're wondering why a day off hasn't fixed it. You're wondering, why did I come home from vacation and I'm still exhausted? Because your exhaustion's not physical, it's spiritual. This isn't religious. It's not like, oh, I got to do more for God. No, it's just saying, I need more time in the presence of God. He can give me a peace beyond all comprehension, a rest for my soul. I love Jeremiah 29 because the Lord is speaking to a group of people, the Israelites who are in exile. They are in a place they do not want to be. You ever find yourself in a season you wish you weren't in? Maybe thinking you got a new boss at work. She's not as good as the former boss, the previous boss. Maybe you're in, a, you're in a hard season right now in your marriage. Maybe you're raising young kids and trying to work and it's difficult. Maybe you have an internship and you're in graduate school and you feel just an uncomfortable season. And I love in Jeremiah 29 because he's, he's talking to a group of people who are in an uncomfortable season. They're in a place they don't want to be around people they don't necessarily want to be around. And he tells them, he says, call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I love that. He says, he says come to me, seek, pray. In exile, you can call upon me. Can I tell you, regardless of what season you're finding yourself in, regardless of how distant you feel from God, the Bible says you draw near to God, he will draw near to you, that you can call upon God. If you're like me, I think there are many of you probably can relate to this. We have a propensity to worry about something far more than we pray about something. And can I tell you, as the old proverb says, you know, worry is like a rocking chair. You're moving, but you ain't going nowhere. Can I tell you, the Bible says this, to not be anxious over anything, but pray about everything. And he'll give you a peace beyond all comprehension. Do you want to know a trigger in your life to pray is when you're worried? when you're anxious. When you're anxious over your kids, pray for them. When you're worried about your health, pray about it. And believe to see God move. So walk with God. Here's the second point, uh, if you're taking notes, is to trust in God. Trust in God. And we see this with, with Noah. He trusted in God. The Bible says he was a righteous man. Paul said, speaking of righteousness, that righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In other words, righteousness is, is, we can sometimes flip righteousness, meaning this. We think righteousness is just right behavior. But righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not about as much the right behavior as it is having the right heart. Because if you have the right heart, you'll produce the right behavior. But if you try to do the right things without allowing the Holy Spirit to change your heart, that will end up becoming religion, and it will eventually burn you out. Because we cannot sustain right behavior without the power of the Holy Spirit transforming our lives. That's why Paul says, listen, no longer try to be righteous in and of your own self, but righteousness, both right standing with God and a right ordered life comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That word faith can also be translated to trust. Paul said in Acts, trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what it means to trust someone? It means you put your weight upon someone. 
It says in Proverbs 16, 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. That word commit literally means in the Hebrew to roll over. It means to shift your weight. That whatever you're doing, the weight of parenting, shift it over onto God. The weight of your, your purpose, you shift it over to God. The weight of your anxiety, you roll it over to God. It says if you, if you commit to God, here's what it looks like. It's you're saying this. God, I'm going to do my part, but I acknowledge that ultimately you are the one in control. So I'm not going to bear a weight I was never created to bear. Some of you right now are being crushed by a burden because you are trying to bear it by yourself. And the word of the Lord for you is to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And the Bible says, and he will make your path straight. Some of you are trying to make your path straight, and you don't know the end from the beginning. Trust in the one, the Bible says, who goes before you and is your rear guard. He knows the end from the beginning. Trust in him. Put your weight upon him. Trust in God. It's important that we learn to trust in God and have confidence in God. Trust is merely saying, I have confidence in you. And maybe there are some of you that you have maybe lost some trust in God. Maybe you, you decreased, you dropped in some trust, you dropped in some confidence. And oftentimes that happens in our life because there may be a desire unfulfilled, maybe a prayer not answered, Something we were hoping for did not happen. Can I be honest with you? That sometimes prayers go unanswered, desires go unfulfilled, and we don't know why. Like, have you ever wondered before, maybe a loved one died of cancer and you were praying for them to be healed, and you wonder, man, why did they lose their life so young? Or maybe that you were, you were hoping for something, you thought it was God's will, and it didn't happen. I cannot tell you, I know this might not be a, an easy answer to swallow, but there are some aspects of our faith that will remain a mystery. We're just not going to know. And that's where faith and trust comes in. But I, I want to challenge you pastorally today to trust God again. Because he is, the Bible says, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And here's the reality. And this is not every occasion, but some occasions. May I submit to you, perhaps a desire that was unfulfilled in your life was actually your desire was your will and maybe not God's will. Have you ever prayed for something before that God didn't answer and initially you were frustrated, but years later you said, thank you, Jesus. You, you prayed to get that job. Two years later, you hear about how it was a toxic workplace. And you say, thank you, God, that you knew what I did not know, and you were protecting me from what I was unaware of. Or, or you did not get into your top choice of school, but you went to your second choice, but it was at your second choice that you made some connections that, that helped you to get the job you have now, and you thank God you were rejected from that school. You were disappointed then, or come on, one that we've all felt. You were praying that you were going to get married to that person in college. Come on, somebody. And then you see them five years, ten years later, and you say, thank you, Jesus. He broke up with me. 
thank you, God, she said no when I asked her to marry me. Right? Come on. Because, because he knows the end from the beginning. And that sometimes, listen, I want to challenge you today is to trust God. Again, I love what Corey Tinboom says. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Trust God. Can I give you some practicals on how you can do that? One way is to study the scriptures. You know why I love the Bible? This is how good God is. He's like, I'm going to give you a documented history of my faithfulness to my people that you can read for yourself. That we, we, get to, we get to read that God told Noah to build an ark, and then a flood came, and God preserved Noah. We, we get to see that God was, was, was faithful to his promise to Abraham. We can see God's faithfulness throughout history in his word. That's why it's so important to read the word of God, because maybe you're believing for something in your life that God's word can, can give you faith to believe. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you're struggling with your faith, read the Word. Also really important is surround yourself with a godly community. Your, your people, they have found actually through meta-analysis studies that, that most of your habits are actually greatly influenced by your circle of friends. Everything down on a subconscious level, what you eat, like your habits are influenced by your friends. So be mindful who you surround yourself with. That's why you need people who are going hard after God, who are believing God for great things in their life. Because then here's the beautiful thing. You can hear stories from them of God's faithfulness. Do you know one of the most encouraging things in my own spirit is when I hear a friend tell me of a prayer answered of something I'm praying for or how God moved in their life in an area I'm, I'm wanting God to move in my life. I'm like, God, I know if you did it for them, you can do it for me. Faith. And then here's the last one, is you just have to step out in faith. How many know faith is not an intellectual endeavor? <laughs> faith, the Bible says walk by faith, not by sight. It, it's an action verb. Your faith needs movement. You need to just trust again. I want to challenge you to trust again, have faith again. And then when you trust, when you have the right heart, listen, then it produces the right behavior. That the, the, the outcome of faith is a rightly ordered life. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He says, Seek first. How many know order matters? I, I want to illustrate this for you visually about the importance of order. We, uh, before Christine and I went on our vacation together, we took a family vacation and uh, it was a road trip, so we had to pack the car. Uh, for those who don't, do not know me, I've, we have three children. Um, so we had five humans we had to pack the car for. So, you know, we have different types of bags. You know, we had our, our, our larger luggage, uh, kind of a smaller bag there, kind of carry-on, and then my daughter, my sons, um, and then we had one more, my youngest, um, uh, you like my Spider-Man luggage? Uh, but when, when you pack the car, uh, and some of you know this, um, how many know the order that you pack the car matters? Have you ever had this experience before you learn the hard way? Like you pack the wrong bags first, and then you have more bag than you have trunk? <laughs> right? You're like, I'm about to, to leave a child. That's all I have to do is 
wanted me to stay home. So when we packed the car, I, I, I made sure I packed big boy first. Because everything else, you know, all these little small bags as well, toys and stuffed animals and books, that, that once I got this guy in, I could build everything else, you know, kind of around it. Like, he, he was kind of the, the anchor of it. If I would have tried to put these small bags in first, big boy wouldn't have fit. Order matters. Jesus in Matthew 6.33 is saying this. Order matters. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Order matters. So what's that mean for us? That having trusting in God practically looks like you putting God first. That means when you approach relationships, you seek God's way of relating first. You don't look to what a self-help book, although those are great, or what a friend says of how you should approach the relationship. You first look at what does God say about relationships. You look first to God about what does he say about finances. You look first to God, how does he say that I should work? And then he says, all these other things should be added unto you. Can I submit this to you today? That sometimes we actually are asking God for things that I think humbly he would say to us, I want to give them to you, but I need to be first. I want to give you what you want in relationships, but I first need you to put me first in how you approach relationships. I want to bless you financially, which if you read the scriptures on giving and generosity and managing your finances God's way, it all is about how God wants to bless you abundantly. He said, I want to bless you, but I need to be first. God will not contradict his word. So he will not give you something that he said he will give you if you have not put him first. One person's with me. That's okay. Um, are you following me, church? The order matters. Listen. God, God has no problem with all the other things of your life. He's got no problem with you having success at work. He's got no problem with you making tons of money. He's got no issues with you having thriving relationships. He's got no problem with you having homes and vacation, all of these things. He just says, put me first. Some of you are not experiencing what God wants to give you because he's not first. But it takes trust to put in first in your schedule, doesn't it? It takes trust to say, I'm not going to do the unethical practices in my industry to get ahead. I'm going to do things your way and put you first. That, that I'm not going to date in the way the culture tells me to. I'm going to put you first when it comes to my relationships and my sexuality. It takes trust, doesn't it? It takes sacrifice. That I'm going to put you first in my finances. Before I save for retirement, before I pay my mortgage, I'm giving to you, God, because the Bible says, and I believe your word, that you are my provider. No one else. Got quiet in this church. I'll move on. But he wants to be first. A rightly ordered life. Test God. Test God in whatever area for you in their life. Test God. Put him 
first. And if you're not putting him first, don't feel any condemnation. God's not mad at you. He just wants the best for you. Seek the kingdom of God first. The Bible says that, that Noah did everything that God commanded of him. Genesis 6.22. That stood out to me because if you read Genesis 6, God gives him detailed instructions for the ark. He didn't just say, hey, build a big boat. I got you, God. He said, I want it to be 100 cubits high. He, he gets into these like details with him. 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high, and make it out of cypress wood. Now, if you read that on first glance, you don't think much of it. But let me give you context. Up until that point, what was culturally normative was that people would build boats from hollowed out logs or skin of animals. And he says, I want you to build a gigantic boat out of cypress wood. On a side note, the wisdom of God is higher than the wisdom of man. A hollowed out log or a boat made out of animal skin would have sunk in a flood. But God says, I want to make a big, it was actually, the, 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 the ark was rectangular and had a flat bottom. You know what, we know what kind of boat is hard to tip over? A flat bottom. So God gave him specific instructions. Trust God, when you feel a word from God, even when it feels illogical or irrational, trust the one who knows the end from the beginning. You're really smart, but you don't know the end from the beginning. Trust in God who can, who can see the future. But he did everything, and here's why this just stands out to me. Have you ever heard the phrase before, um, kind of a cultural phrase, the devil's in the details? Anybody ever heard that before? I think biblically, actually, God is in the details because he gives them specifics. Here's a propensity we all have if we're not careful, is that we can, we can justify our lack of obedience on the small things because we do the big things. I'll put it this way. We, you can do the right thing with the wrong attitude and still be wrong. You can do the right thing with the wrong motivation. Let me give you scripture. 1 Samuel 16, 7. People look at the outward appearance. We judge righteousness by good behavior. Oh, you're in church today. You're a righteous person, right? But the Lord looks at the what? Heart. Come on. It's like my kids. I, I, this, this week I had this moment. Maybe some of you can relate. I asked my kids to clean up the downstairs living family room where they had put all their toys out. So my, my children went to clean. And here's what it sounded like as they were cleaning. They're like, oh. Any parent ever experienced that? So I had the correct attitude. I said, hey, thank you so much for doing what I asked you to do, but can I talk to you? You had a, you had a frown on your face, stomping your feet. Your attitude matters. Have you ever had someone say the right thing with the wrong tone? Again, so often with my kids, you know, somebody say they're sorry, sorry. Like they're mad at you, like salty. I'm sorry. Sorry, your feelings were hurt. You know, it's like, you're not really sorry. <laughs> or someone says, you know, I'm sorry that you were offended by what I did. Right? You got a little salt to their language, right? You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, say the right thing with the wrong tone, and you can still be wrong. God cares about the details. 
I want to submit to you. Maybe Is there a detail in your life? Maybe you're doing some of the right things, but the heart of the matter is, is an issue. The Bible said God's not measuring us by our outward appearance, but by what's happening internally. So we walk with God. We trust in God. Here's the final point is we wait on God. Genesis 8. We're going to fast forward a few chapters. So he built the ark. He got the animals in there. The flood comes. And all of a sudden, he hits dry ground. The, the earth is dry. And what happens is the earth is dry, and then 56 days later, now he was on the ark for 314 days until the, the, the waters receded. So 314 days, the waters recede. He's now on dry ground. He waits another 56 days to come out the boat. He waits until God tells him to. Genesis 8, it, it documents this, where the Lord tells him to come out. Do you have that scripture? There it is. Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. So he, he tells them to come out. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking to myself, okay, 314 days on a boat, probably no central AC. They didn't have streaming technology then. Come on, no Netflix. He's in with large mammals who are every functions happening in the ship, right? It's probably hot. It probably stinks. Like for me, if I'm on a plane for five hours, I'm like done. Like I'm like anybody else, like you're like ready. We like the first one up. Like, Let's get off this plane. Like I am ready to get off the plane. So if I'm Noah and we hit dry ground, I'm like, peace, I'm out. I done built this boat. I done followed God. Y'all can stay here. I'm getting up out of this piece. But he waits 56 days. That convicts me. Because I'm like, Noah, why didn't you just go? Who knows why the Lord waited? Maybe there was something on the other side that would have harmed him. Maybe he would have quickly ate some vegetation, would have gotten sick. We don't know. He trusted God. He knew the end from the beginning. And he waited 56 days till God said, come on out. I have found one of the most difficult aspects of faith is waiting on God. Can anyone relate? Probably if you go around this room, all of us have something we're waiting for. Waiting for that job. You're waiting to go back to school. You're waiting to be married. You're waiting to have a child. You're waiting to you no longer have children. Come on. <laughs> right? We're like waiting. And, and, and here he is waiting on the Lord. I love what David says in Psalm 27. David is waiting for God to deliver his, him from the hand of Saul because Saul's chasing him, wanting to kill him. And David, here's what I call it. David in Psalm 27, he preaches to himself. He says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. Like, who's David talking to? He's talking to himself. How many of you know, when you're waiting for the Lord, you need to preach to yourself sometimes? Anybody? David encouraged himself. He strengthened himself in the Lord, the Bible says. Can I tell you, there are seasons you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord when you're waiting on God. You know, that word wait actually means to have eager expectation. 
It's like you are expecting God to come through. It's also an active waiting. It's not a waiting room kind of waiting, you know, sitting on your hands. It's like a, a waiter at a restaurant. They're active. They're serving. You continue to do the things you know to do while you're waiting. Can I submit this to you as well? Sometimes waiting on the Lord is mostly about you aligning your timing with God's timing. Sometimes, and I want you to hear this, waiting on the Lord may be you having to take things slower than you like. Anybody else like me, you're impatient? Come on. I'm an impatient person. Like, I don't like to wait. When I fly, this will give some of you anxiety, but some of you will get me. I try to time it in the airport, so when I get through security, I get a coffee and a water every time, that by the time I get to my gate, I'm boarding. Ideally, I love to be the last person on the plane, because I'm like, why wait? Like, airport terminals is like the most terrible, I feel like I'm being punished, you know? I was sent to timeout. Right? So why arrive like two hours early and sit? So I'm sorry if you ever have to wait for me on an air, 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 uh, airplane, but I find out when the doors are going to close. Try to get there about two minutes before then. Get right in. Um, but I have a hard time waiting. Let me say this to you. Sometimes waiting on God means to slow your roll, but I also think sometimes waiting on the Lord may be to actually speed things up. It's aligning your timing with God's timing. I remember when we were going to start the church uh, back in 2019. We had plans to start the church in September of 2019. It was a good plan, too. I wrote it myself. It was really good. And we had went through our training process with this organization called the Association of Related Churches. They train church planters. They assess us, all these things, give us coaching and support and resource. So I go, and all of the staff there tell us, we think you should, you should start the church in, in the beginning of 19. And we were like, no, we have a great plan for the end of 19, not the beginning of 19. But we listened. We went back home. We prayed about it. We talked to our overseers, our pastors. And then we felt this overwhelming peace like God was speaking through them. Remember I told you, trust in the God who knows the end from the beginning? And sometimes God will speak through people like he did for us. Because what we did not know in 2019 is that something significant would happen in March of 2020. And because we started the church on January 27, 2019, we had 13 months as a church before the global pandemic happened. If we would have done Jeremy's plan, we would have had about five months. I mean, we would have been far less prepared to, to do what we did throughout the pandemic if we would have listened to our wisdom. You got to trust God. What is God asking you to wait on the Lord? Or what is God asking you right now in your life to speed up? Again, it's about aligning your timing with God's timing. I told you waiting is about active waiting and serving him. And can I tell you that one of the ways that you can live this word out next week with us is that do is while we're waiting, we do what we know to do. And next week through serve day, we get to do that we know God's called us to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. I want to invite you to participate with us. Let's, whatever you're waiting on God for, whatever you're believing for, let's serve God. Wait on God. Serve people while we do it. So I want to challenge you to trust God like Noah did. 
Walk faithfully with him. Trust in him. Be dependent on him and wait on him. And I believe you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the